0: Let's stand and uh enter into his presence. Can we do that? Malora buku te ti e calaradata haya and any tala to lora to bukura ta la rada na Ya la Rada Namaya Ye la la lobo ti kala ra da ta Ye cute ti kala ra Ma la ro 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 bu ko ta ta Ma la ro hai Ma ki ti ti ka si ki e ka Di e colora la rete e coloro to pur tatabahi e coloro Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated. This is session six. And uh, as I've already said, these are sequential. And I realize that many of you could not be here this morning. And so I would say to you that it is imperative for you to uh, listen to this morning's lesson as quickly as possible. Um, it, it was uh, the other half of last night's message. Last night uh, dealt with Session uh, 4, dealt with us being um, in the body of Christ, what that revelation means. This morning, Session 5, dealt with Christ being in us and what that means. And uh, they are not two separate things, they're two halves of a whole. And it's very critical to uh, hear that receive that because that in, that's the foundation upon which all New Testament prayers based right there praise God, praise God. Um, so it's really important that you you um, receive that. Now starting with tonight, these last three sessions are really not going to be for you personally. They're going to be about what and how you're supposed to be doing for the kingdom. And frankly, uh, either any of the, the things that I will cover tonight and tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, could be taught on its own but separate and apart from the foundation that's been laid it cannot these things cannot be done effectively without what has been already taught you can do it you can do what's taught tonight you can do what's taught the next two days or next two sessions after tonight but it will never be as effective for you as it will be if you build it on the foundation of what's already been laid. Praise God. And so this this is a little bit more challenging to receive because you're not allowed to use it for your own benefit. I'm going to say that again. There's no biblical basis for using your gifts and ministry For your own profit. And I'm not just talking about financially. I mean, I'll just give you an illustration. I was in uh, Rio de Janeiro 20 years ago, and I was there teaching a seminar, and then I was going to participate in the graduation of the Bible school. And uh, so I was teaching in the tabernacle. In Rio, of course, it's kind of like here, especially in the summertime. Uh, It's not unusual for temperatures to be 105, 110 degrees Fahrenheit. And the big tabernacle that we were teaching in had a metal roof with no insulation between you and the metal. It literally felt like I was in an oven and being baked. But the Lord would not let me pray for my benefit. About two days into it, though, I was talking to them about being sons of God and how much the Lord loved them. And I asked him, how many of you are uncomfortably hot? and Everybody raise their hand. I said, this is what it means to be a child of God. And I bound the temperature and commanded that a breeze would blow through that auditorium to cool it off. And you can ask the people that was there. Within 15 minutes, the temperature in that auditorium had dropped 20 degrees it was almost as if somebody turned on the air conditioning. I was not allowed to pray that because I was hot. Because I was uncomfortable. About 10 years ago now, I was on the island of Yalta in the Crimea, Ukraine, doing a leadership meeting for leaders from all around what used to be the Soviet republics. And uh, it's down south, and it's right on the, uh, I think that's the Black Sea, I think. And uh, it was supposed to be warm, and none of us brought coats. And so instead of being in the 70s, it was like down in the 50s and very windy. And my wife was with me. No, you weren't on that. I don't don't remember if you were or not, but anyway, it was very uncomfortable. I was not allowed to pray for it to warm up for me. But on the second day, I'm trying to, I'm teaching them about how much the Lord loves them as children of God. That second night, and the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And I said to them, Tomorrow at noon, there will be no breeze. The clouds will all have cleared out. And the temperature will be 21 degrees Centigrade. The forecast for the whole time was to be down in 12, 14, with 15, 25-mile-an-hour winds, cloudy, overcast, cold. The next day, At noon, we were outside. We'd had the morning session. We'd gone out. Everybody had gone out to find some place to eat. And there was a big bank sign with the time and the temperature on it. And at noon, it said 21 degrees. And there was no wind. And the clouds cleared out. some of you want to believe that but it's really hard to it? the point i'm making with that is i have never prayed any prayer along that line for my benefit i've only ever prayed that with the instruction of the lord And it was for the glory of his kingdom. Several years ago, when I was still the pastor, we had had a particularly bad winter and missed several weekends of church because it just seemed to snow every weekend. And you just couldn't go. You couldn't go and something rose up in me and i bound it from snowing on at any time that would prevent us from being able to have church any service we went 5 years and never missed a service even with forecasts Of snow this weekend. It just didn't snow. You can ask Brother Stone King about this one. He was preaching a revival for us in the 80s. And they were calling for snow. Well, he's there. We're trying to have revival. Weatherman says it's going to snow. Snow. I went by his hotel room. I said, Brother Stone King, they're calling for snow, bad snow. He said, what are we going to do? And I'm thinking to myself, what do you mean, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? he looks at me and said, what are we going to do? I said, okay. If this is on me, here's what we're going to do. Before I knew what I was praying, I bound it from snowing in our county and that it would be so obvious that it snows all around us but nowhere in our county to the point that on the weather broadcast on the radio and TV they would say we will we have never seen anything like this before where there's no snow in this county and there's snow all around it? Asking, him, asking. Him. It snowed all around us. It didn't snow in our county at all. And the weather people were saying, we can't explain this. We didn't pray that because it was inconvenience for us. We prayed that for the sake of the kingdom at the direction of the Holy Ghost. You cannot use your authority and your faith and your gifting to your profit, to your benefit without a specific word from God to do so. And and always, if he gives you the direction to do that, it will always be for a a purpose greater than your benefit. <laughs> That's really funny. It's real. This is really funny, because you were sitting here tired a while ago, and all of a sudden, whether you believe a word I just said or not, it's like, really? I thought this stuff only happened in church. No, it's supposed to happen outside of church, brother. Right? You you don't really believe. <laughs> I can't tell you the times that it was spoken publicly and is recorded where it was stated publicly. The weather says it's going to snow. It's not going to snow. Now, at home, you see, when it snows bad, they have to close the schools. The kids get to stay home. My grandchildren are saying, Dad, Dad, would you please stop praying against snow? (laughs) The point was, I didn't care if it snowed on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, or Saturday, as long as it finished in time to be able to get the roads and the parking lots clear so nobody had an excuse not to come to church. I didn't care. But it seemed like every time snow was forecast, it was for Thursday or for Sunday. That was no coincidence. Let's see. I wonder if there's anything like that in the Bible. Let's see. James chapter 5, let's start reading with verse 14. See, it's one thing to read it in the Bible. We just don't want to, we just have a hard time believing that it could get out of the Bible into our lives. What does it say? And is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him with oil. Pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. Next verse. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then it says this. An Elias or Elijah. A man subject to like passions even as we are. In other words... He wasn't Superman. He wasn't the fourth person of the Trinity. He was a man with all the problems that men have. That humans have. And what did he do? He prayed that it didn't rain. Why? Because Israel had given themselves over to idolatry. And as the prophet of God, he wanted Israel to know that their gods did not have authority. So he declares, I'm going to pray and it's not going to rain till I say so. Well, when you first say that, people think you've lost your mind. And after the first month of no rain, they're sure it's coincidence. And after the third month of no rain, well, still it could be coincidence. After the sixth month of no rain, they're not humbling themselves, they're mad. Because you pulled some kind of magic and you're messing with their lives. And after a year of rain, they're beginning to believe something's going on here. But a year wasn't enough, was it? It didn't rain for two years. It didn't rain for three years. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Oh, and by the way, you know when it rained again? After he said i 'm about to pray, and it 's going to rain here 's the key point, though: Elias was a man, subject to like passions as we are oh brother right i couldn't i couldn 't do that. why? because you 're worse than him. Because you've got weaknesses he doesn't have. (laughs) Have you ever read about Elijah? His life would make a perfect roller coaster for an amusement park. (laughs) Up and down and up and down and up and down. And God listened to a man like that? Oh, Jesus. You know what our problem is? We can't believe that this is possible. You know why? Because we have prayed about all our needs. And God didn't do anything about them so we don't believe prayer works because we're not praying for anybody else till prayer works for us and fixes our problems and since prayer doesn't fix our problems then what's the use of praying about something like this because prayer doesn't work does it you see how how tragic it is when people don't understand what prayer's for and what it's not for And you participate in praying for things the Lord specifically said, Cast, don't ask me to fix. So that your faith doesn't get undermined and your confidence in prayer doesn't get undermined. But we don't believe prayer works. Because I've had problems. And I prayed for God to fix him, and he didn't. So I'm going to pray for something like that. I'm not going to be a fool. Prayer doesn't work. I've tried it. Hello? Y'all here? Are you here? Yeah. The problem with that is it's way too close to home, isn't it? I'm not praying for God to do something for the lost because I prayed for me and he hadn't done anything for me. So how in the world am I supposed to believe for somebody else when God hadn't done for me what I've asked him to do for me? Well, I hope we've covered that sufficiently in five previous sessions because I don't really want to get stuck here. But the point is, the Lord wants to use you. How many of you ever heard somebody preach under great anointing? (laughs) You 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 started not to do it. You started you. You should have listened to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) How many times have we ever heard somebody sing under great anointing? Never. And you've never heard anybody preach under great anointing because that terminology is as unbiblical as you can get. Study the word anointing. And you'll find what anointing is. It's what God does when he puts somebody in an office and imparts authority. And he gives men gifts. It's a gift, not an office. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And so an evangelist gets up and he exercises that gift with great proficiency. And we call him anointed. Well, he's only anointed if God put him in that role. The anointing is not what he's exercising. you know what this is really simple get your English concordance out on your iPad and look up every verse that has the word anoint anointed and anointing and show me one time where that term is used in reference to a person exercising ministry it's not in there not once. Oh, but Christ is the anointed one. Yes, past tense. <laughs> not the anointing, not the being anointed one, the anointed one. It's an accomplished fact. When he became the Messiah, he was born, okay? He was the Messiah in God's plan. He was God manifested flesh even as a baby. But the office of Messiah was an office. And what John saw wasn't a bird. John saw the anointing happen. He baptized the man. And the Spirit of the Lord came down and rested upon him. That was the anointing. From that point on, he was anointed in the office of Messiah. I said this the other night. Show me any place from the day of his birth to the day of his baptism where he ever acted like he was the Messiah. His own brothers and sisters didn't believe he was the Messiah. The town he was raised in didn't believe it. He's the carpenter. He's Joseph's son. His dad's dead, and now he's the town carpenter. Messiah? He's not even a priest. He's not even a teacher in the synagogue. He's a carpenter. Because he never, ever gave any indication that's who he was. Boy, we like to have a word from God, don't we? Well, Mary met the angel. How many times after that, after Jesus was born, did that angel come and said, it's okay, it's going okay, just hang on. I know it doesn't look like much is happening, but just hang on, it's okay. How many times did that happen? How many? Not one time in 30 years. (laughs) The almighty I am expected her to believe a one-time word from an angel nine months before she birthed him. Oh, yeah. There was these shepherds that showed up. And Joseph said he saw an angel. And there was Anna. And there was Simeon at his dedicate or his his uh, 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 circumcision at eight days old, and then these weird wise guys showed up, not in the manger. Read it. The shepherds came to the stable, the wise men came to a house. I was all in it. That was really early. After that, nothing. No angel. No word. Nothing. There was nothing to see that made him look like any other little boy growing up. The only hint was when they were 12, when he was 12, and they went up to Jerusalem, and they left and thought he was with them, and he wasn't. And when they frantically looked around, they finally decided to go back to Jerusalem, see if he was there. And they found him sitting in the temple discussing the law with the priests at age 12. What? And his mother loses it. You know, mothers never lose it, right? Yeah. His mother lost it. What are you doing? We were looking for you. And he looks at her like, so you didn't believe what the angel said. I must be about my father's business. Really? So what of his father's business did he do for the next 18 years? He was anointed. Well, that anointing, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Boy, did you hear that guy preach? He was really anointed. I hope so, because nobody takes this office unto themselves. So surely he's met the qualifications and submitted himself to the elders to be for the elders to confirm and make full proof of his ministry that he's truly been approved. And then the elders laid hands on him and anointed him as It's what we do because it's biblical. I'm a district superintendent. Every June at our one of our main meetings we have an ordination service. And ever since I've been superintendent I preach the ordination service and we anoint them with oil lay hands on them and ordain them We anoint them into an ordained position of ministry. What they do after that is not the anointing, it's because they were anointed. But oh, boy, we've got it in Pentecost, don't we? We got this one down. Did you hear that guy preach? Boy, he was anointed tonight. Really, that's wonderful. I'd just like to find out where you got that in the Bible. I got a question. Do preachers ever fail? preachers ever backslide go on YouTube I'd hate to do it but I could tell you the names of a couple of guys that messed up really bad and I could tell you the date when they were discovered as having really fallen into sin but I could also tell you the time approximately when they started in that falling into sin. And you can listen to some of their messages on YouTube while they're drunk or high or in adultery and hear them preach. And then you find out how they were living and you go, wait a minute. How did God anoint him to preach like that in the condition he was in? He didn't. Oh, yes, he was anointed. You could feel something when he preached. And it was powerful. What he said was powerful. Yeah. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And God ordained that man to the ministry and gave him a gift to speak the word. And you hear me right now. Brother Billy Cole said to me as a young preacher, he said, Brother Wright, you have to fast and pray and dedicate to God to get a gift. But once you get that gift, you don't ever have to pray again the rest of your life. To operate that gift, he said, I have the gift of faith for people to receive the Holy Ghost. I have, I no longer pray, God, pour out your spirit, because I have a gift. And all, and I've learned how to sense where God wants to pour out his spirit. That's a part of my gift. And I show up where God is ready to do it. And I operate my gift. And people get the Holy Ghost. I don't pray for people to get the Holy Ghost. I pray for Billy Cole to be saved. He said the big mistake that people make is this. They dedicate the gift the gift. And once they got the gift, they can exercise that gift regardless of the spiritual condition they're in. But the devil deceives them into thinking. That because they can operate that gift, that means they're still okay spiritually. Hear me, please. Boy, this is this is pretty heavy stuff. It's pretty heavy stuff. But once you get that gift, you can operate it one of three ways you can operate it through the Holy Ghost. Or if you don't want God to get the glory, you can operate it through your flesh. It's a little more difficult to operate a spiritual gift through your flesh, but you can do it. But once you do that and don't repent, all of a sudden one day, you will notice that it's become really easy again to operate that gift. You have it. Repented, you haven't changed, but what had gotten difficult now was easy again because you don't realize now there's another spirit that has come to operate that gift. And in your impenitent condition, you can't even discern that it's not the Holy Ghost anymore. You're scaring me, brother, right? That's not the intent. The intent is to let you know that God gives gifts to men for the purposes of his kingdom. And he expects us to operate those gifts. And I can operate them in the Holy Ghost. I can operate them in the flesh. Or I could give myself over to demonic spirits and operate God's gift through demonic spirits and be deceived and not even know I'm doing it. That's why you better have a pastor who's a man of God that you're willing to listen to who has the courage and the sensitivity to come up to you and say, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're not operating your ministry, your gifts, through the Holy Ghost anymore. You're in the flesh, and you're in danger. Hear me. Because that's the only Protection, you've got to stay saved. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So preachers don't want to hurt people's feelings. So since we don't want to hurt people's feelings, we let them go to hell. We know something's not right. We feel it's not right. God's trying to talk to us to do our job, fulfill our responsibility. But we don't do it because we know they're not going to be happy to hear what we've got to say. So we spare ourselves. And we don't tell them. And we let them go to hell. Because once they go from flesh to demons empowering that gift. There's no way back. I can't tell the story. I'm not going to tell the story. But I'm telling you, I stood one day and watched the culmination of a mighty man of God change spirits right in front of my eyes. The Lord. We, I was trying to work with him, and the Lord was giving me things to say to him, and I was trying to help him see where he was and what danger he was in, but he was a mighty man of God, had a great reputation, and he didn't have to listen to me because he wasn't willing to acknowledge what I was saying was God, not me. And I watched that man stand right before my eyes, And I watched him change spirits. I watched a demonic spirit come and replace the Holy Ghost. And the man is still deceived today and doesn't even realize what he's doing is not God. Now, hear me please the most powerful and yet the safest supernatural ministry that you can participate in is prayer. Because everybody is called to pray. And the Lord wants to give every one of us some kind of ministry of prayer. Well, I'm not called to prayer, Brother Wright, then you're not saved. You may not be called to be an intercessor. You may not be called to be a, to pray travail or warfare, but everybody's called to pray kingdom prayer for the lost to be saved. In most cases, the most powerful prayers we're never going to know about in this life because they're humble people who aren't going to go tell everybody what they're doing. And unless the Lord reveals it outside of their efforts for people to know that, nobody's going to know. But that's the protection because they're willing to be used of God mightily. And it's okay with them if nobody ever knows how powerfully they were used. Yes, there are people. There's people at home. There's people in this room right now. I can say to you, brother, sister, I need you to come right up here right now. I'm going to hand you this microphone. I need you to intercede for us. And you're so yielded to the Holy Ghost that in a few moments time you're going to be in intercession and it'll be real. But it's not positive for most people that have that kind of ministry for it to be that known. It's okay when everybody's going into some degree of warfare or intercession for you to, to yield your gift Because you're not trying to be singled out. So everybody, oh, what an awesome intercessor they are. The true reward of the intercessor is the fruit that God produces. Even when most people don't know. You had any part in praying that fruit to fruition? You can go on YouTube, watch Brother Cole's testimony about what happened when they first went to Thailand many, many years ago. They baptized a bunch of denominal preachers and, and, and church members in Jesus' name, but nobody got the Holy Ghost. And he tells that he asked the Lord, why aren't these people getting the Holy Ghost? And he said, i would never heard anything like this, but the Lord told me, you haven't defeated the prince of Thailand. And he said him and his wife, just the two of them, fasted seven days and prayed and interceded for seven days. And they bound the prince of Thailand, defeated him. And at the very next meeting they had where all these folks came together, they all received the Holy Ghost. But Brother Cole will tell you, or would have told you, told me, the real intercessor of the two was his wife. And she almost prayed herself to death. Because her burden of intercession was so strong. But trust me, if you were around them, you would. The only way you'd ever know it is if he told it. She never put herself forward as some great spiritual person. This is so far from where I thought I was going to be right now. Fifty minutes into this session, this is not where I thought I was going to be. This is not what I thought I was going to be talking about tonight, but I just work here. This is his meeting, and you belong to him, not me. And if this is what he wants you to hear, I'm not fussing with him. I'm not trying to scare you, but I do want to sober you up a little bit. What I talked last night and today about your place in the kingdom and the opportunity and the privilege we've got to be a part of his body and be the mouthpiece of the head of the body of Christ, which is already on the throne of the universe, ruling over the universe in heaven but connected to the rest of the body which is on earth and for us to be the mouthpiece of the body of Christ on earth and to be able to speak the things God wants us to speak so he can do the things he wants us to do. I can't even begin to tell you how awesome that privilege is. There's no greater privilege that's available to mankind in our day than that privilege. Remember when he sent the 70 out? And they came back, boy, they were, if, if if it was our day, they would have been high-fiving. Oh, I, you should have seen this devil I cast out. Boy, I tell you what, I had him flopping around all over the place and finally I made him come out. Boy, I just, whoa, it was all, yeah, but, yeah, I had something, yeah. Oh, boy, and they got to compare notes about all the devils they cast out. And they, and they they're walking along. They're apparently having some convention walking along telling telling each other about all the stuff that they did. And they walk up to Jesus and say, Lord, the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said, I beheld Satan, his lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power. And the Greek word there is authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by means hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice because s- demons are subject unto you, but rejoice because your name is written in heaven. In other words, you need to check your motive here. Because this is not about you being able to show everybody how powerful you are. We're dealing with eternity here and people's eternal souls and their eternal destination. So we don't get together so we can brag about what what neat things we've gotten to do and gotten to see. Mika ka ta rata o bo ba hai di e ka ta ta hai ma ke hai ye in the name of jesus in the name of jesus Let's go to Luke seventeen, I think it is Luke seventeen one. Luke seventeen one. Let's see if that's the right place. Uh, that doesn't sound right. Give me just a moment, please. I'll find it. It's one of those passages I sometimes don't remember the chapter. Hmm. Watch, it's going to be 17. I just didn't go far enough. Guess what? It was 17. I didn't go far enough. Then said he unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Increase our faith. Lord, we need more faith. Don't raise your hand. But is there anybody in this building that doesn't think they need more faith? Lord, give me more faith because obviously the reason there's not enough stuff happening through my life is I don't have enough faith. <laughs> You ready? (laughs) Okay. And the Lord said, if you had even the smallest amount of faith, faith equivalent to the smallest seed there is, a mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Wait, 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 wait. They just asked for more faith, and he said, no matter how little your faith is, if you even have little faith, this is what you can do. Anybody moved any trees lately? then maybe we need to find out why our faith isn't moving trees. Next verse. But, (laughs) which of you, having a servant, plowing, and feeding cattle, And the Greek word translated by the words feeding cattle is the verb form of the word shepherd. So which of you, having a servant that's preaching the word and plowing up the fallow ground of the hearts of men and are feeding the people of God like Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, Peter, feed my sheep. Because it's not cattle like we think cattle. It's sheep. And we'll say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet. How many of you that have a servant that's been out working all day and he comes in from his work out there, is going to say to him, you're tired, go take a break. Next verse. And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may eat, and gird thyself so you can serve me till I have eaten and drunken. And... And when? Ooh. And afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Now 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 get the picture. Woo. <laughs> flesh does not like these verses, does it? Do oh flesh doesn't like this. Ah, ah I don't like that. Join the club. I've been a charter member for a long time. (laughs) Previous verse, please. Seven. You've got a servant. The servant of the Lord. Anybody ever hear that term in reference to men of God? You've got a servant. He's out ministering in your field. And to your sheep. He spent all day doing that. And when the day's over. And he comes in. You don't say to him. You're tired. Go get something to eat. You work hard today. You say to him. Now it's time for you to minister to me. The Lord says. Because that's your motive test to see what you've been doing all day and who you've been doing it for. Because if you're out there preaching my word, plowing up fallow fallow ground of hearts, and you've been out there feeding my word to to my sheep, that's all for me, all right, but you've been doing that for my Fields and my sheep, but what about me? Because the test to see if you're doing this for the right motive is how do you feel about spending time for me while you're still tired? <laughs> Let's go back to talking about that cast and care stuff. You thought that was hard. That's easy, isn't it? Lord, increase our faith. You don't need more faith. If you got faith just the size of a small, tiny mustard seed, you can move trees at your word. Why is it that happening? Because... You're not submitted to me as a person, and I'm not your priority. Your work for me is more important to you than your fellowship with me. And I can't use you no matter how much faith you've got. Yeah. It's like the preacher, and most of you here aren't preachers. Some of you called that's not yet preached. But there's not a preacher alive that not gone through this at some point in time in their early, especially their early development. Hopefully they mature out of this. Oh, Lord, I got to preach. Give me something to preach. Give me something to preach. You're kidding, right? That prayer is about me. It's not about God. It's not about ministry. It's not about the people I'm going to preach to. I don't want to be embarrassed, so I want him to give me something to say that makes sense, and I won't embarrass myself. And it's not a preacher alive that's never prayed that prayer. In some form or another. What is that saying to you? You haven't grown up enough in God to understand no matter how much you're involved in the ministry of the things of God, that's not a substitute for spending time with God. But not just spending time with Him. Putting His needs ahead of yours. God has needs? Oh yeah. He needs me to want to give to him like he's given to me. Verse 7 again. But which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him, By and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat"? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken. And afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Next verse. Doth he thank that servant? Because he did the things that were commanded him. Are you ready? This is really hard right here, see. The King James says, I trow not. I'm going to put it in our language. I don't think so. The servant gives thanks to the master for the privilege to minister and the privilege to serve and the privilege to fellowship. But the master doesn't thank the servant because he did what was commanded him. (laughs) Why? Next verse. So likewise ye, and you shall have done all that's commanded of you, say. I'm an unprofitable servant. I've just simply done what was my duty to do. That means when you've prayed four hours and you want to stick your thumbs in your smelly armpits and crow about all you've done for God, You just prove your motive wrong. Because no matter what I do in the field or in the house, I'm not profitable because he's the one doing it through me. That's why the churches out there that say that we preach that you're saved by works don't have a clue. They're lost because they have no works. We do works, but they're not to be saved, not to save us. They are works to prove that we believe. They're simply obedience. Because when you do what's commanded you, what is that called? Obedience. And the works of obedience don't profit you. You don't earn anything by them. You don't get rewarded by them. All you've done is demonstrate that you've got saving faith because true saving faith produces the works that's the evidence of its existence. That's why James says, faith without works is dead, being alone. Because I can say I have faith, James said. But if I don't have works to prove that I've got faith, then I don't have any faith. My obedience doesn't earn me anything. It doesn't earn me salvation. It is only the evidence, the external evidence of an internal faith. I'm not trying to trip you up here. Just listen to me carefully. If you ask me, Brother Wright, do you believe a person has to speak in tongues to be saved? My answer is no. I believe a person has to be baptized with the Holy Ghost to be saved. Now, biblically, the initial external evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost is speaking in tongues. But tongues... Does not save you. What saves me is the presence of the Holy Ghost in my life. The tongues don't save me. All they are is an external evidence that what saves me is inside. So it is with faith. I can't see faith. I can hope I've got faith. I can think I've got faith. But I don't know I have faith till there is external obedience which is simply the external evidence that I've got the internal saving faith. Brother Wright, you believe in all this holiness and separation stuff? Oh yeah. Do you believe you got to do that to go to heaven? I believe you've got to be holy to go to heaven. And I believe holiness is inside. But question, how do you know it's in there? Because there's evidences on the outside that says it's in there. The outside evidence is not what's necessary to be saved. Without holiness, no man shall see God. And holiness is in here. But what's the external evidence that it's in here? How can I know I've got holiness in here if there's no external evidence of it? Well, I don't believe dressing this way and acting this way and whatever saves a person. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Because you can look holy on the outside and not be holy on the inside at all. But if you've really got holy in here, it's impossible for it not to be on the outside. Woo, praise God, praise God. (laughs) The principle follows through all the way. I can say I love God. But what's the biblical proof I love God? By this shall all men know you're to my disciple, that you have loved one for another. I can say all day long I love God. But if I don't love you, I don't have the visible external evidence that I love God. Because if I can't love my brother whom I have seen, I have no basis for saying that I love a God I can't see. And that's the biblical evidence all the way through. That's the big biblical principle all the way through. I don't know my own heart. The Bible says I don't know my own heart. The heartful is, this heart. Je- Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know their own heart? I can say and believe I've got this and that and the other in my heart. But what's really in my heart comes out. And I live it on the outside. And these churches that preach that you can be a Christian and there's no change necessary, that you don't need to repent, they're worshiping a God all right, but it's not the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said they're preaching another gospel. They're believing in another Jesus. And they have another spirit. Lord, increase our faith. Well, if you had Faith just about the size of a grain of mustard seed. You can move trees. But the real question is not how much faith you got, it's what your attitude is toward me when you're out there involved in my field. Do you want to spend time with just me? You want to sup with me? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man my will hear my voice and open unto me I will come in with it to him and sup with him and he with me what's this really preaching about submission and humility and the fact that I'm not trying to obligate God by what I do for him and I'm not trying to earn anything from God and and so, therefore, <laughs> I was in the military. You ever seen somebody has been in the military a long time? Boy, their uniform has got rows of stuff here. And that's the working uniform. Which it's got rows of ribbons. But if they get in a dress uniform, each one of those ribbons is actually a medal. And they got all this metal piled on top of this chest right here so that, and if you know what those medals are for, you know every uh, theater of war they fought in. You know if they've distinguished themselves in their service. You, you can look right at that row and you know exactly that, that thing tells all about what they've done. And then you look at the shoulder or the collar or the sleeve and you know where they rank with every other person in the military. And we want God to be like that. We want him to give us medals so everybody can see what we've done. And we want insignia that so everybody will know our rank and what our place is so that we, we will know who's supposed to say sir to us and, and I'll know who I'm supposed to say sir to. because that's flesh, and that's the way flesh wants to do it. Now, that principle enables you to participate in this principle. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Jesus answering, saith unto them, have faith in God. Different situation, different scenario, different lesson. Now he's brought up faith. And he's about to explain how biblical faith ministers. Next verse. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall ask... For this mountain to be moved. Well, it's okay to say, Does it say ask? Because just like I'm trying to get you to not raise your hand, I'm trying to get you to speak up and say, That's not right. Because I'm trying to make a point. And I'm trying to get you to participate and make that point. So let's all do it together. That's not what it says. Thank you. Why am I making the point? Because that may not be what it says, but that's what we practice, and that's how we do it. We don't say. We ask. (laughs) For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Let's see. Say. Uh, say. 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 Say, 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 say. I'm going to tell you, Pentecostal unbelief, and it'll be your secret from now on. When you hear somebody pray like this, you're going to hear a voice, whether it sounds like mine or not, you're going to hear a voice say, that's unbelief. Oh, God, my brother's got some needs, Lord. I'm asking you, Lord, to help my brother with his needs. Oh, Lord, I'm asking you to help my brother with his Oh, God, I'm asking you. Oh, Lord, my sister's sick. I'm asking you to heal my sister, Lord. Let me ask you to heal my sister. Right? Yeah. (laughs) I won't do it. (laughs) Doesn't that sound so spiritual? And so humble. Because if we really want to get spiritual. Lord. (laughs) Lord. My brother has needs. (laughs) Lord, if you care, Lord, you'll help him. Oh, and we look at that and we go, look how spiritual they are. Look how humble they are. Look how sincere they are. Look how absolutely full of pride and unbelief they are. I'm serious. I believe with all my heart. That's pride and unbelief. Because he didn't say, whosoever will scrunch his face all up and get a teary sounding voice and beg me to move this mountain, I'll do it. Now, maybe I don't read very well. Is that what it really says and I just can't read it right? No, then why do we do that? Why? Why do we do that? You know why we do it? Because that's the way we've always done it. And it's easier to blame God for not listening than it is to find out if we're praying right. Next verse. Therefore, <laughs> that is called a conjunction. I'm not trying to be offensive, just making a point. That is called a conjunction. What it's about to say is based upon and connected to what was just said. Okay? Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Guess what he just did there. He called saying, praying. He just called saying, praying and that if I pray, by saying, and not, don't doubt what I'm saying. What I'm saying is going to happen, Pastor. Is that what it says? If that did, if that's not what it says, say so. Correct me. I'm serious. I want you. I want these folks to hear you. Correct me because I've I've, I've twisted this. You can't do that? Well, I was hoping you couldn't. And I don't have the time to go through all the places in the Bible where Jesus equated saying with praying. Have faith in God Well how do I have faith in God Because you You are in tune with the Holy Ghost You're sensitive to the spirit You hear what he says You repeat what he says Because 1 Corinthians 4.13 says Or 2 Corinthians 4.13 says That's the spirit of faith I have believed therefore I speak And faith comes by hearing Hearing by the rhema of God So I hear Rama and therefore I speak, Rhema, and that's the spirit of faith. And if I do that, whatsoever things I desire, if I believe when I pray, when I say in prayer, I'll have it now. Let's try Matthew eight, and uh, let's try verse. I know it's not verse one, but I, we'll. Um, I'll get. We'll get there real quick. Let me just do it this way. Matthew eight. I can give you. What? Hmm. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. Sorry. Here we go. Okay. Matthew eight five, and when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, an army officer, a Roman. Gentile army officer, beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy and grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. And then he tells Jesus why he believes that can happen. Why he believes that Jesus does not come to ha- have to come to his house, does not have to look at that servant face to face, does not have to touch that servant with laying on of hands. Why he believes that Jesus can stand right there and speak a word of faith that the man that's sick can't even hear said and that the man will be healed. Here's what he explained as to why he believed that. For, for this cause, on this account, I am a man under authority. He didn't say, I have authority. He said, I'm under authority. Because you can't have authority if you're not under authority. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes and to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. All of these children of Abraham and this nation that I'm acquainted with, Not one of them has the faith of this Gentile Roman army officer. Why? Because they don't understand the relationship between authority and faith. When the priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus speak, they said, we've never heard a man with such anointing. What? They didn't say anointing? In case you didn't hear him. They didn't say, did not say, we've never heard a man speak with such anointing. They said, we've never heard a man speak with such authority. That's what set Jesus apart. From all of those priests. He spoke with authority. And in our ignorance of the word of God. When we hear somebody mightily used of God. We call it anointing. And that's not what it is. That person not only has a great gift. And they're letting the Spirit of the Lord operate that gift. But they're doing it under authority. And so therefore, they're doing it with authority. And that's why you feel it. And that's why stuff happens. And that's why God responds. It's because of authority. Speak the word only. So right now, in your loved one's houses, where someone other than the true living God is believed in and worshipped, you can sit right here and say, you don't have to scream it. You don't have to blow your vocal cords out shouting it. You can say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I bind every demonic spirit that represents any false deity and command it to leave my loved one's house and I loose the Holy Ghost to fill that house with the love of God with the mercy of God with the spirit of God well what if nothing happens tonight brother Wright so it only happens if you see it happen because if you don't doubt in your heart it happened does it matter to you whether it's manifested tonight or tomorrow or next week or next month Does that matter to you? What's got to matter to you is that something happens. Now, what about this? Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. How's that working for you? Didn't he mean what he said? Oh, yeah. Except we take it out of context. I got tired of trying to explain to people what that meant, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to study this as thoroughly as I can and find out exactly what he's talking about. So I started with Matthew one and went through the end of Revelation. And every verse in every context that seemed to say directly or indirectly that I could ask anything, I copied and pasted not just that verse but the entire context. And my word processing document is 66 pages long. But you know what I did? Then I began to read down through all of those. I just read. I didn't try to figure it out. I didn't try to understand it. I just read it. I read the context of every place in the Bible where it said I could ask anything in his name and he'd do it or some similar statement to that. And you know what I found? You know what I found? I found that in every single context where something like that is said, it's either directly or indirectly talking about praying for the lost to be saved. Lord, I saw all those Ferraris the other day outside that hotel. It don't have to be a red one. It doesn't have to be a yellow one. It doesn't have to be a black one. But you said I could ask anything. And I'm asking for a Ferrari. We went to see what to eat today. And there was a Ferrari sitting there. If you know this guy, I'm sorry. But this guy is an idiot because if that Ferrari cost a million bucks he'd painted that so it looked like camouflage yeah. and he had a big it, what looked like a World War Two insignia for an American plane on the side and it had some other decals on it it was stupid looking And he did that to that Ferrari. He has no business owning that. The guy's that he doesn't (laughs) that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You know what that guy is? He not only has too much money to be able to buy a Ferrari, but he's got enough money to ruin a Ferrari. It's okay that you left, but I'm serious. Stupid. But then I go to people, church of people that have the Ferrari of Ferraris spiritually in their lives and have no clue what to do with it. No clue. They're not any different than a little kid that would sneak in his dad's car without a key and sit there, can't even see over the steering wheel, but go budding, 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 budding. Make all that noise and never even gets the engine running, thank God. But he knows all the noise to make as if it was really working. And a lot of us come to church and all we do is go bud, button, bun, bun button. we go to prayer, and all we do is go button, nothing's happening. Your holy Ghost motor's not even turned on. Wow. Nothing happens. Or that'd be like somebody had one of these four-wheel bicycles. And they bought a Ferrari shell to set down over that bicycle. And you look real close, and here's this guy holding on the handlebars inside of what looks like a Ferrari, pedaling away. Really? Really? Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask. Or think according to the power that's at work in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus world without end. And we don't know how to turn the key on. Oh Lord, please let this car run. We get real spiritual. I need to go, Lord. Lord. In Jesus' name, cause this car to turn on. Jesus' name. Uh, What's that in your pocket? I don't know what this thing is. Uh, They gave it to me when I bought the car, but I don't know what it is. Surely this little thing, Surely this little thing has nothing to do with operating this big machine. This little thing, like a rhema, just a rhema. Surely this great power of God doesn't operate by this little thing, this little grain of mustard seed, rhema. Surely. That's too simple. We want to feel like we've got more invested. Oh, God, do something. Oh, yeah, we got something invested then, in. And hopefully somebody had a, a, their phone out videoing us so we could put that on YouTube and everybody can see how spiritual we are or how crazy we look, one or the other. This is so simple. A little child can do it. A little boy that didn't even have the Holy Ghost because he lived in the Old Testament was born to a barren mother who promised that if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you to serve in the house of God. And as soon as she weaned that boy, three, four, five, whatever he was, she takes him down and hands him over to Eli, the high priest, who says, for this child I prayed, And he now belongs to the house of God. I give up my rights to him as a mother. And this little child is laying in the bed at night. And hears a voice say, Samuel. And he thinks it's Eli. So he jumps up, runs down the hall and said, here I am, my Lord. And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And a little while later, a child heard, Samuel, and he jumps up and runs down the hall and says to the high priest, here I am, my Lord. And the high priest, who's not in real good shape spiritually, as we're about to find out, recognizes that God is speaking to this child. And he tells this child to say, next time you hear someone call your name, say, here I am, Lord, your servant's listening. So a little while later, he hears this voice. And this child says, here I am, my Lord, your servant heareth. And God gives this child a prophecy of judgment against Eli and his house because of the sin that Eli's allowed his sons to participate in. It's so simple that God can use a little child to do it. My youngest son, Received the Holy Ghost in Africa when he was four years and ten months old in the dedication weekend of the headquarters building in Blantyre, Malawi, Africa, and he was sitting on the front row of the seats with his mother, and our brothers and sisters are singing, but we didn't know there, we didn't know what the, what the words were to the song, but you could feel God. And without anybody talking to Joel, this four-year, ten-month-old child begins to be moved on by the Holy Ghost, raises his hands, and in a few moments has stammering lips. And the Malawian assistant general superintendent came over and laid his hands on Joel. And he started speaking in tongues. Because the Holy Ghost wouldn't let either me or his mother pray for him. And he got the Holy Ghost. And some 14 years later, no, 10 years later, we're in a crusade in Lusaka, Zambia. Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night and Sunday. And in four services, we prayed through. 2,252 people. And that 15-year-old boy, by himself, there's video of it, prayed through 96 people by himself. Because this is so hard to do. How hard is it to hear a voice speak to you? (laughs) How hard is it to repeat what that voice said? I've been doing it for the sixth session now. That's all I've been doing. Hearing, repeating, hearing, repeating, hearing, repeating, hearing, repeating, hearing. Because the commitment is, Father, by your grace, I submit myself to you to be your conduit. Whatever you want to say, that's what I'm going to say. And by your grace, I'm not going to add to that or take away from it. And by your grace, I'm not only going to say what you want to say, but I'm going to say it how you want it said. And with the feelings you want it said with, because I'm just your conduit. And I got a 14-year-old grandson who's been preaching since he was seven that knows how to do that. At seven years old, he left his mother's side in church, plopped himself down on the front row. And didn't even want to go to Sunday school because he wanted to be on the front row. And he's the first one praying. He's a weird kid. He's never been a kid. He never had time for being a kid. I, I don't know whether that's healthy or not. I'm not his God. I'm serious. We've been a little concerned sometimes. He's never had a childhood. There's no interest in having a childhood. He doesn't want to learn about sports or heroes or whatever. He wants to find somebody to talk to the Bible, talk about the Bible with them. Why? Because this isn't hard. You just have to be willing to participate. God's way. It's not hard. Well, he's your grandson. Really? That's more of a burden than it is a blessing. You can believe that if you want, but that's truth. I was praying for a young man the other day, and I was in a certain setting, and this young man's, both of his grandfathers are well-known mighty men of God, his dad is a well-known mighty man of God, and he struggled, and I was asked to come pray for him, and his Future bride. They were standing there about to be married in a couple of days. We were in a church service and they asked me to pray for him. When I, I was walking up to him, when I got about this close to him, the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And I called his name and I said, Heritage is not a direction. Heritage is your foundation. But it's not your direction. It's not who you're called to be. I have two sons. They have a heritage, but that's not a direction who they're supposed to be. Their personalities aren't like mine. Neither one of their ministries are like mine. Well, that, did you fail? No, I succeeded. Because they're supposed to be like what Jesus wants them to be, not like me. And neither one of them's like me. One of them's too quiet, and the other one's too not quiet. <laughs> I'm somewhere in, <laughs> in between the two. With the anointing, I can talk all day. Without the anointing, I won't be left alone. I just want to find me some place to sit with my iPad and study and whatever. And if the Lord wants to interrupt that with ministry on the phone, okay, okay. But as soon as he's done, there's not going to be any chit-chat. You know what chit-chat is? That's just talking to just fill fill up some time, and you don't even remember what you talked about when you got through. I don't make a very good friend if you want somebody to hang out with. I don't do hang out I never have I've been a loner all my life you know why that's awesome because if you see me sitting with somebody for hours talking about Jesus you be sure of this one thing it's not my personality so the point is this who are you going to be in God? What are you going to be? Are you going to be a conduit? I think this is going to be the last point. We'll see. Okay? John chapter 7. Start with verse 37. John seven thirty-seven. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. thirty eight says, He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. thirty nine says, But this spake he of the Spirit that they that believe on him should receive. The Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, if you were in the session today, or last night, I think it was, when I talked about the the italicized words, if you've got a good quality printed Bible or electronic Bible, that word given, Holy Ghost was not yet given, is in italics because it wasn't in the original Greek. So the verse actually says, But this spake he of the Spirit, that they that believe on him should receive. But the Holy Ghost was not yet, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, the point of all this rambling comes back to verse 38. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said. (laughs) Years ago, 1980, we were doing some special services, and the evangelist and I went over to the University of Maryland right outside of Washington, D.C., and we managed to acquire a room to use to talk to talk about end time prophecy and to talk to college students. And this one young man came in and we talked a while. He said, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the Bible. I thought a minute and I said, what? He said, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the Bible. I said, well, how do you know who and what Jesus is? He said, I just make him up to be who I want him to be. I wish I I wish that was not a true story. I said, Well, sir, I understand that if you want to do that, there's nobody can stop you. But the Bible's the only source of information about who Jesus is, was, how he thinks, what he feels, what his purpose is, and all that. And you're Fantasize Jesus can't do a thing for you. So he that believeth on me, not he that believeth on my church, he that believeth on my denominational doctrine, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, get the direction. I want Jesus in my heart. Really? Where's that verse at? I'd like you to show me the verse where you could ask Jesus to come into your heart. I'd like for you to show me a verse that even remotely says anything close to asking Jesus to come into your heart. You do believe the Bible, right? I mean, the Bible is your source of faith, right? The Bible is the, the source that tells you what to believe and how to believe, right? Not your church or your preacher or your doctrine, your long-standing church's doctrine. What the Bible says, right? That's what you believe, right? Right? So where's the verse that says? You can ask Jesus to come into your heart. Anyway, he that believeth on me, that, that was just a little side note for somebody here that needed to hear that. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, notice now, this is King James 1611 English. Out of his belly. The Greek word there is literally cavity. Cavity. Figuratively, it is emptiness, inner emptiness. And it is translated in many different uh, of the modern translations, something along the line of inner man. Out of his inner man, but I like out of his cavity or emptiness because every one of us is born with an empty place in here. Well, brother, I, I don't know how to witness to this person that person. Well, first of all, do you know what witnessing is? It's not quoting scripture, Adam. In a court, what's a witness? Question, is there a difference in court between a witness and a lawyer? And you look at me like, are you dumb? Yes. Well, if you're looking at me like I'm dumb, I'm asking you the question now Do you know the difference between a witness and a preacher? Because a preacher. It's supposed to, and it's it's your privilege if you want to, and I, I would encourage you to know what the Bible says so you can give a biblical answer, but that's not what a witness is anyway. A witness is somebody that has experienced something, and they can tell someone else what they've experienced. Because if I'm talking doctrine with somebody, they can say, I don't believe that. That's not what I believe. But if I'm telling somebody what I've experienced, in order for them to disagree with what I've experienced, they got to call me a liar and say I didn't experience it. And yet in a court of law, I can, I can give my testimony of what I've experienced, and that becomes evidence that a lawyer can use to convince a jury to put the person in jail for a long time. And I'm not a lawyer. I just I'm just a witness. I saw something, heard something experience something and the courts of our land accept that as valid so if you're telling your friend your testimony what you've witnessed they're go- if they deny it they're doing something even the courts wouldn't do so Out of your belly, your innermost being, your emptiness. So when I witness, most of the time, I talk about the fact that I had this great emptiness inside. And it didn't matter what I did trying to fill that emptiness. I tried all kinds of stuff, but nothing could fill that emptiness. But one day, one day, The Spirit of the Lord came in my life. And literally, literally, down by my bed, as an 18-year-old, I felt that emptiness literally fill up. And when it got all the way up to here, it flowed out in a language I didn't understand. And this is my witness. And that emptiness has never come back 53 years later. That's my witness. So the verse says He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly, his emptiness, shall flow rivers, rivers of living water. I think I talked about this a little bit last year, but that's okay. We'll talk about it again. The Greek word, translated flow. The English equivalent letters are E-R-E-O. Now, I talked about scholars today and their difficulty in being objective when objectivity would put them in a position of having to face the fact that the objective facts contradict their personal opinions. And so therefore, Greek scholars have made the word E-R-E-O in this place different than every other place in the Greek New Testament where E-R-E-O is and E R E O is the strengthened form of the Greek word spelled verb spelled R H E O, reo. And when you put the suffix M A on the end of R H E O, the suffix means in Greek the result of. So if you have reo ma or re ma. Rema is the result of what's been said. Rao is the utterance of the living voice. It's almost always used in the Greek New Testament of God speaking or God speaking by His Spirit to us. And Rema is is what God's Spirit has spoken to me. And so since R-H-E-O is used of supernatural communication from our spirit God, Jesus said God is a spirit. You don't believe in the supernatural. You don't believe in God. The strength and form." Of that supernatural utterance. Is E-R-E-O. So in that verse. If the scholars accepted. That this is talking about speech. They'd have a problem with their doctrine. Because Jesus said. He that believeth on me. As the scripture had said. Out of his innermost being. Is going to flow rivers of supernatural utterance. But, of course, we can't accept that. Even though if I go to John 3 and 8, it says the wind, which is the Greek word P-N-E-U-M-O, English equivalent letters, which can be translated spirit, breath, or wind, depending on the context. The wind bloweth where it listeth, where it wants to, and thou hearest the sound thereof, which is the Greek word ph. O-N-E, from which we get the word phone, but is literally the Greek word for voice. The Spirit blows where it wants to, and you hear the voice thereof. But you can't tell where the Spirit's coming from or where it's going. Get this. So is... Every one who is born of the Spirit. Now, if I listen to the denominal world, this is what they say that verse means. You can't know when you're born again because you don't know when the Spirit's come or when the Spirit's going. <laughs> poor old Jesus, he he just, sometimes I guess he got senile, even though he was only physically in his 30s, he was God, and God was forever, and God has no age, so I guess God got a little senile, because he, he, I guess he just speaks nonsense sometimes, you know, the wind blows where it wants to, and and you can hear the sound of it, but you don't know when it's coming or going. And so that's the way it is with everybody that's born again, born of the Spirit. You can't know when they're born of the Spirit. You have no idea. You just kind of, I guess, accept that by faith because there's no evidence of it, really. That's what he was saying. Honestly. You're kidding me, right? I... I'm, I'm kind of insulted for Jesus that you're making him out to be such a moron. I know that's a strong language and, I, and I'm not a strong word and I'm not trying to be offensive. But the bottom line is that's not as strong as I'd like to say it. How insulting of our Savior that to cover your doctrine! That you can't defend. You got to accuse him of making some kind of stupid, ridiculous statement that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Hey! he just said a few verses earlier except the man be born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God he just made being born of water and the spirit prerequisite for being in his kingdom and three verses later he says but you can't know when it happened you kidding me right? he made being born of the Spirit prerequisite for being able to enter his kingdom and then he's going to say but you can't know when it happens? Or maybe that's not what he's saying at all. The wind blows where it listed. it. There's three ways to know that the wind is blowing. You can feel it. You can see the results of it. Or you can hear the noise it makes. He didn't pick feeling it as the evidence. He didn't pick seeing the results of it. He picked hearing the voice of the Spirit that is evidence. So is everyone that is born of the spirit and then four chapters later he says come unto me all ye. if any man thirst let him come unto me and drink he that believeth on me as the scripture had said out of his inner emptiness that i'm now filling with myself to overflowing with living water which which of course the next verse says john 7 Uh, 39 that he's not speaking of water he's metaphorically speaking of water as representative of the spirit which is not yet available because Jesus hasn't died been buried resurrected and ascended into heaven because the spirit wasn't given till all three of those things happened on the day of Pentecost is when it happened So nobody had the baptism of the Holy Ghost before the day of Pentecost because the Holy Ghost was not yet because Jesus wasn't yet glorified. And He wasn't glorified in death and He wasn't glorified in burial and He wasn't glorified in resurrection. He was glorified in ascension. And the Holy Ghost wasn't available For in filling us till after he ascended. And when did that happen after he ascended? Acts chapter 2. And so he says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being, out of his emptiness that I'm filling to overflowing, I'm not going to give him a taste. I'm not going to give him what Lazarus asked for. Just let the just let the the rich man said, just let Lazarus Abraham come and dip his finger in his in water. And just let just let one drop of water on my tongue to cool my tongue and comfort me because I'm tormented in this flame. That's all the rich man asked for because he was so tormented that one drop of water would have been comfort. No, no, no. Jesus didn't give us a drop. And he just didn't put some in us. But he made it so conclusively obvious of the change that he filled us so much to overflowing that we it didn't just flow out. It flowed out in plural, Rivers. Oh, well, out of all of us, no. He, singular, that believeth on me as the scripture hath said, out of his, singular, belly shall flow rivers, plural, of living water. Oh. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, just for time's sake. And the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all in one accord, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from Ezra, there was a mighty wind, Cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And for those of you that think speaking in tongues is just some nonsensical, ecstatic utterance, I challenge you to just get your Strong's Concordance and Dictionary out and look up at the definition of the word utterance because it is a very technical Greek term for speaking we- very, is the word erudite or is there a word eruditely? meaning to speak very specifically and very clearly. Well-pronounced, sensible statements, not just jabbering, not just some nonsensical glossolalia, but language that could be understood because it's so well-spoken. Verse five, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Well, uh, they spoke in tongues so they could preach to all of these people. These were devout Jews. All we would call them today Orthodox Jews. All devout Jews speak Hebrew as well as the language of the nation in which they reside. There was no need for any supernatural utterance to preach to these Jews. Plus, as we read in a few verses, you will find very easily that when preaching was done, It wasn't 12 people talking at one time. It wasn't 120 people talking at one time. It was one man speaking to the entire crowd in his own language, and everybody understood him because they were all devout Jews in that crowd. So guess what? Speaking in tongues was for some other purpose other than to preach. Oh, wait. What's the next verse say? Now, when this was noised abroad. If you got one of those old Bibles, got that little center column reference deal. I noticed in mine when I was 18 years old, you know what it said? That an alternate translation of that first phrase is when this voice was heard. Because the Greek words there are exactly the same Greek words as found in John 3 and 8. Thou hearest the sound thereof. The word noise there is the Greek word P-H-O-N-E. When this voice was heard. So chapter two verse six is the fulfillment of John three and eight in confirmation of Acts two four and the explanation of John seven thirty eight. Now, (laughs) oh Lord have mercy, how did I get here? (laughs) I started in on all of this for this purpose, to close out the night. So I'm going to try to see if I can close it out on this. If you want to be a conduit of the Lord, in prayer you've got to year, learn to yield to the flow and if you want to be sensitive to the flow of God's spirit and learn how to flow in prayer in your natural language you first got to learn how to be sensitive to the flow in the heavenly language That's what I want to leave you with tonight. If you're not comfortable praying in tongues, you're going to have to you have to get past that. I first received the Holy Ghost when I was age 12. I went through the traditional Pentecostal process and hated it. I'd been born in the church, but I didn't get the Holy Ghost before I was 12. Because I did everything I could to resist that process. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Jesus, 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 Harry, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 14 hours later, finally, and you, you, you look, you get so tired you can't even say it right. And then it's like, yeah, yeah, And then somehow accidentally you let the tongue do something and then you start speaking in tongues and now you're scared to death it won't stop because you don't know how it got started and you don't know how to stop it. And I hated that process. I'm telling you the truth before God. I hated that process so much I wouldn't do it unless I had no other choice. Like there's a meteor headed for the earth. And I need to make sure I'm still saved. (laughs) Or one day, my dad who was not saved, him and my mother had a verbal fight. He had come in drunk, which didn't happen very often. But she wasn't happy about it. And he was late getting home. And he'd been drinking. And he smelled like he'd been around a lady. And they went at it. And I thought this was the end of our family. And so it was so bad I was willing to go through. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And that was a pretty quick process. That night only took about three hours. And they stayed together. I don't know whether that had anything to do with me praying or not. But I felt better that if they were going to split up, at least I maybe still had the Holy Ghost. And I've had the Holy Ghost 10 years, even though I spent a, some time backsliding. That's when I talked about a while ago at 18, being so empty. I mean, that's, if you've never had the Holy Ghost, you don't really know how empty you are. The Holy Ghost has been there and you have allowed it to go away because you've given yourself to stuff you shouldn't have. And now you, you, you're not just empty. You know it's, you're painfully empty. You don't want to turn the light, light off at night, not because there's monsters in the closet in the corner, but because the dark tells you how empty you really are. But I'm 22 years old. I'm in flight training. And I'm going to this little Homissions Church out out near the the Naval Air Station so I could help and preach. And this preacher had only been saved five years. He had an eighth grade education. And he'd been a bouncer in the bars when he got saved. But he preached something I'd never heard in my life. He preached he had to speak in tongues every day. And he said, i never leave my house in the morning until I prayed in tongues. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> It'll take me three, four hours to be able to speak in tongues before I can go to work. It's terrible. So I was single, and as I've already said, single people have time. Married people don't. So I was single. So I started going by the church on the way to, 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 to work, and then during lunch hour, when I was going through ground school, I'd go over to the chaplain pray, and then I'd come back by the church for a couple of hours because this Jesus, 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 Jesus stuff—that wasn't going to get it. This preacher convinced me that was not good enough, and it took about four or five days before I began to break through into liberty and did not understand that that whole process was nothing but my flesh resisting giving myself over to god it wasn't how hard it was to get the holy ghost it was how hard i was resisting yielding to god until until after about seven or eight days it got scary for a person that only ever talked in tongues maybe twice a year, and I had to go through that whole big Pentecostal rigmarole deal to do it, I just walk into church building before I could get the door closed behind me. And it was so easy, it was scary. And I remember listening real close to these tongues coming. And I'm thinking, oh, God, is this really you? And this voice says, you're just making that up. And then this other voice says, ask him how you can be listening to it and making it up at the same time. And the light came on. And I've never questioned it since. Because I can listen to it. Well, it doesn't make any sense, really. Then why was it I was preaching in Rio de Janeiro about 17, 18 years ago? And there was a man, a preacher, came up on the platform after the service and asked the missionary and I to pray for him. And we began to pray. And he had this long old face. But all of a sudden, he began to say, in perfect American English, uh, without an accent, no New York accent or southern accent or none of that, he began to say, finally, you have healed me. Finally, you have healed me. His face never even changed. And I looked over, I opened my eyes, looked over the missionary's eyes about this big around. And I said, he doesn't speak English, does he? He said, oh, Brother Wright, we're in Rio. He said, this man's from the Amazon. He's never been out of the Amazon before. And he doesn't know what he's saying. No, he's struggled with some stuff a long time. He's had a hard time believing God was helping him. But here's what he's saying. His spirit's confessed in his faith even when his mind doesn't understand it. Finally, you have healed me. Finally, you have healed me. Finally, I know this is for real. (laughs) Right? So the point for you in all this, the foundation of everything's going to be taught tomorrow is there's got to be liberty in your life to pray in tongues. And when you get to a certain place that those rivers can flow out of you at any time and you hear me right now, I've walked down your malls talking in tongues and nobody knew it. I sit on airplanes and talk in tongues and nobody knows I'm doing it. I can ride in your taxi cabs and pray in tongues and you Cab driver doesn't even know I'm doing it. I've sat at tables in your restaurants, and talked in tongues and prayed in tongues. The person waiting on our table didn't even know I was doing it, because it's not how loud I'm talking. It's the fact that I've been to, I practice in the flow, I practice in the flow. Why? Romans 8, 26. We all have this infirmity. We all have this inability, this weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us. The King James says, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Okay? Romans 8.26. The Bible in basic English translation reads this way. And this is the Bible in basic English translation. Romans 8.26. And in the same way, the Spirit is a help to our feeble hearts. For we are not able to make prayer to God in the right way. But the Spirit puts our desires into words which are not in our power to say. I've told this story here before, but it's been a while. I'm going to tell it. And my feet say, this is the close. I'm hoping my spirit says the same, but we'll see. My youngest son, was about nine months old. And uh, I had gone out and then I'd been gone a couple of hours and I came back to the house. This is before cell phones. He's now 36, so that's 35 years ago. And uh, I came in the house and there was no note. There was no family. My wife... My son, who was ten at the time, and our baby—they're all gone. And I got some things that are heavy on my heart, and and and, and I, I, I I'd walk around the house trying to find them. And I walked upstairs. We had a little built-in desk in our bedroom, and I noticed that there was a cup of coffee that was spilled, but I, it just didn't register. I, and I had other things on my mind. I knew it wasn't like my wife to leave. A, a mess not cleaned up but it just wasn't registered to me what I thought was I got the house to myself I could go pray and so I did and uh, I don't know if I should tell one of my secrets or not but I will I've learned how to pray in English in my mind while the spirit is praying from my spirit in tongues and sometimes it's about the same thing. Sometimes it's not. This particular day, I got stuff I'm talking in tongues. I'm not even paying attention to it. I got stuff I'm I'm talking to the Lord about in my mind. The Spirit's praying, but I, I'm not paying attention to it. And all of a sudden I realize whoa, these tongues are very heavy. I mean. It was powerful and authoritative and heavy, and I'm not doing that. I'm thinking about something else. And when I kind of came to myself and realized how the Spirit was praying through me, the voice of the Lord said to me, I'm praying about something important. Let me pray. Well, guess what? My mind's not on anything else now. I don't know what I'm praying for, but it kept going heavy. Heavy. I don't realize, I didn't realize that at the time, if I look back on it, I would have described that as intercessory prayer. But at the time, I, it was just heavy tongues that I wasn't doing. I was just letting it flow. After a while, all of a sudden, it all lifted. All that heavy, powerful, loud tongue stopped. And it was just very quiet and calm. And I heard the voice of the Lord say, Everything's going to be all right. And I went, I remember thinking, Okay, everything what? I don't know what everything is. I hadn't had the thought go through my mind but a few seconds everything what? And the phone rings. And I walked into the kitchen and pulled it. It was one of the ones on the wall had a long cord to it. And I picked it up and said, hello. I, I didn't know who was on the other end. That person was crying so hard. I didn't, I didn't recognize the voice. Who is this? What's wrong? And finally, the person calmed down enough, I realized it was my wife. And she's calling from the emergency room. And she had just pulled that hot cup of coffee out of the microwave. And Joel was 10 pounds, one ounce when he was born and never slowed up. And at nine months, he was a big, strong kid. And she sat down with him at the desk with him on her lap. And she thought she put that coffee cup far enough away. And you know how babies are when they get to a certain age. They want want that cup. They want that glass. They want... Before she knew what he did he lunged for the cup and the tip of this finger just caught the edge of it enough to tip it toward him and, and it burned his arm and fell down poured off the, the desk and burned this leg and foot and she said the doctor says it's second and third degree burns and he's going to have to have skin the and the Lord said This is the everything you've just been praying for. I didn't even know what was wrong. But because I could flow in the Spirit, the Lord prayed for it before I even knew what the problem was. So she comes home, brings this baby home. He's got a bandage on his arm. He's got a bandage on this knee all the way down from above the knee all the way down his leg and his foot he's not even crying she said they were going to keep him in the hospital but he's so young they just thought he would do better if, if he was at home and, and but they made me swear I wouldn't let these bandages get wet so he wouldn't get an infection okay well he wants down he gets on the floor he hadn't learned to crawl yet guess what he starts doing crawling on that knee she goes he's crawling on that knee and i said yes and if it's hurting him he's smart enough to stop well i'm all you know i prayed i got this i mean really this is i got a word this is all okay right Well, we had to go see the doctor the next day so the doctor could change the bandage to see how it's going. Well, she wasn't going to go in there with her because she saw that. She didn't want to see it again. But I'm sure everything's going to be all right. So I go in there with the baby. He hadn't cried till he saw that doctor. Then he starts screaming his head off before the man I'm serious. Before the man touched him. And I don't know how a nine-month-old can do this, but he looked up with me that eyes that said, I thought you were my dad. I thought you loved me. And you're letting this man do all this harm to me. And before the doctor could get the bandages off, the baby is pouring sweat from his trauma he's feeling. Well, i got to be honest with you. I wasn't prepared for what I saw. Took this bandage off. The skin was flayed. It looked like it had been flayed. I mean, there was... It wasn't a blister there. There was not red skin there. There was no skin there. The left knee was just that raw. But from the bottom of the left knee to the top of the ankle, there were on a child's leg. There were two blisters about the size of my fist. And then the foot... The entire heel and the bottom of that foot looked like somebody had just peeled the skin right off that baby's body. And the doctor looked at me and said, Reverend, this was on a Friday. He said, Reverend, this doesn't look good. He, he pointed to this part. He said, this is at least second degree. It may be third degree. If it's third degree, we're going to have to do skin grafts. He pointed the knee and to the left heel. And he said, Reverend, this is definitely third degree. Now, I won't know anything till Monday. But right now, I'm saying to you, we're probably going to have to do straight skin grafts on this baby's body. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm thinking to myself, that's not what happened. So as soon as he bandaged him up again and we got him out of the doctor's office, he quit crying. Literally, literally. Just quit on his own. Quit crying. We got to the house. I said to, me, to my wife, "Let me see that baby." I took him in my arms up to my the room that I prayed in regularly, sat out in my rocking chair, held that baby in my arms. I said, "Now, Lord, I didn't even know what was going on. You prayed for this. I didn't. I didn't know what was going on. You prayed." and you said everything's going to be all right when I didn't even know what everything was. Now, I don't know what you mean by everything, and if you want to explain that, I'll give you a moment to do that. But if you're not going to explain to me what you meant by everything, I'm about to tell you what I understand everything to mean. And I waited for a moment. I didn't hear a thing. I said, okay, Lord. Here's what everything means to me no skin grafts at all, and no scars. That's what everything means to me. We go to church on Monday, on Sunday. I tell the church this is what's happened. We're not going to ask God to heal this baby, we're going to thank Him for healing. He's already said it's going to be okay. So we go back in Monday to have the bandages changed again. this baby hasn't cried for two days he sees that doctor he goes ballistic that doctor takes him lays him on that table he pulled those bandages off his arms and legs and that doctor's eyes got about this big he said what's happened to this child (sighs) i don't know what he's talking about what's happened to this child i don't know "What, what do you mean doctor what it? Something's happened to this child. What's happened to him? I don't. I don't know, doctor. What do you mean? He said this baby's almost completely healed. And I noticed then there was no rawness. It was all skin. There was no rawness anywhere on this leg. And he pointed. He said, "Do you have a white athletic sock?" I thought to myself, "I'm a man, aren't I?" I mean, can you be a man and not have at least one pair of white athletic socks? That's like asking me if my underwear and my wife's underwear is in the same drawer. No. Yes, I've got a white athletic sock. He said, well, the problem is all this skin is brand new and this baby's fingernails are really sharp. And this new skin is going to itch. So get this. I'm not putting bandages back on him. But when you get him to the house, pull that white athletic sock up on this leg and put a a rubber band around the top of it loose just to keep it from sliding down so he doesn't scratch this new skin and scar himself because he's not going to have any scars. And he doesn't have any scars this day. Now, I'm sorry my wife had to go through that. I'm sorry my son had to go through that. But I'm not sorry I went through that. Because hear me, when I'm praying, I'm not just wasting my time saying a bunch of stuff that my mind doesn't understand. I don't know what I'm praying about most of the time. But I know the Holy Ghost is praying about something important. And so all of my prayer life is built on the foundation of a flow of the spirit of prayer through me in other tongues. You don't learn to pray in English or whatever your native language is first. You learn to pray in tongues first. And then God will teach you how to pray his way in your language. And we'll talk about that tomorrow. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us, your mercy. I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for speaking to us. I thank you for instructing us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father. Hita halororo bokutati e Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hita halororo bokuteti e kalarata tatahiye. Ti e kalaroro bokurata tatahiye. Yeki e kalaroro bokurata Hallelujah! 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 Ti la ba ti Ratataha di ratata mama Ma lo 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 bo ko ta 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 haia Ti Hallelujah me mokosi kosi ki ekutahaya Ti elu rata la rata ti Ti